0: profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help you work less and make more. My name is Geraldine Carter. My guest today is Matt Ciappetta. Matt, welcome to the podcast.
1: Great to be here, Geraldine. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm happy to have you. So for people who haven't ever heard of you, give us a quick sense of who you are, where you are, and what you do.
1: Yeah, so I am in the Chicagoland area. I'm a recent CPA firm owner. I started January 1st this year, and I work specifically with digital solopreneurs. Um, And right now I'm primarily creating an audience on, on Twitter, and that's where I'm generating leads.
0: Give us a little bit of backstory, because you said you officially launched January 1st, but we connected last summer in August. So give us a sense of where you were then, and what was on your mind then, and kind of what you knew you had incubating.
1: So about six years ago, I wanted to start my own CPA firm, and I didn't end up doing that. Um, Found found another position at a financial advisory firm as the CFO, but I always had in the back of my mind that i wanted to start a cpa firm so uh, flashback to last summer i had uh, been working with my employer on a transition plan i had, a, had had set out to start my own firm but i didn't know exactly who i was going to serve so um, i'd been listening to you for a little while and I realized that I needed to focus in a little bit more on who my audience was so that I could really hit the ground running. And, you know, I think about that time I was come across your coaching program, wasn't sure if it was the right investment for me at the time, but the more I talked to you, the more I realized how much help I needed to just hit the ground running. Yeah, that's kind of where my head was at last year was just trying to trying to figure out where to start and and how to build a successful business and do it right. So
0: what made you think, what were some of the things that made you think I better, I might be better off not doing this on my own?
1: I think in particular, just when you're on your own as a soloist, you get a little bit in your head. So um, I, I think I'm one who always likes input from others, likes feedback also liked to have some level of community where you can bounce ideas off of. So those were all the things that I was looking for at the time. Even though I like the fact that I'm a soloist, I do find a lot of value in surrounding myself with top-notch talent and also just getting coached as well.
0: Gotcha, I love it. It's it's such a good distinction. The idea of being a soloist doesn't mean you have to do everything alone. You're a soloist and you're as the business operator but that doesn't mean that you need to do everything by yourself all the time. So what were you nervous about committing at the beginning, you know, kind of taking the leap, if you will? What were the things that you were like, eh, this might feel right. I think this is right, but I'm still a little bit nervous about it.
1: Starting on my own was, okay, now I actually have to find some clients. And I think the one thing that was always in the back of my head was, I just had come from a place where I was running a lot of meetings with clients. It was very much a volume business. And I think back then I was uh, last summer, I was also looking at acquisition opportunities and just kind of realizing the distinction of different businesses that operate based on quantity versus quality of relationships. So I really was looking for kind of building the roster right the first time in terms of the people that I'd serve. And then Um, I think from the coaching standpoint, it was just wanting to make the right investment that was going to help me get to where I wanted to be quicker. Um, So that was, I think the biggest hurdle, right, was just making sure that I was making the right investment that was going to help me um, get to where I wanted to be, even if I didn't know necessarily where that was just yet.
0: So when we started out, what were some of the things that were hardest at first? Because going from working inside, working at a company, working inside a company to hanging your own shingle, I think the experience of that is all of a sudden you realize just how much there is beyond simply the craft of the work that you do. So what were some of the things that were hardest at the outset?
1: I think the structure just knowing knowing who my i think in particular just my niche was just knowing the audience that i was hoping to serve i had no idea where to even go with that starting off and i think just through some of the coaching taking some level of action to understand who your audience is going to be by actually i think you can get very much in your head which i did in terms of trying to figure out who your right audience is but ultimately until you start to take action and do some research into whether it's working with uh, coaches or working with uh, podcast hosts or working with manufacturers you don't really know until you start actually getting yourself into those communities whether it's going to be a fit for you and your personality or not so i think i was very caught up in wanting to make the right decision. But I didn't know I I was I was stuck. I was I couldn't figure out what step to take. And I think just starting to take action into the niche was super helpful.
0: So how far can you give listeners a sense of the range that you wandered in terms of finding who you wanted to serve? Who did you talk to? And what did those conversations reveal to you? Who did you decide not to talk to because you could rule them out like that?
1: I think I knew that I wanted to work with people that were on a similar journey as me but I didn't know what that meant so I I, I felt like I quickly disqualified some potential uh, industry, So I just had come from financial advisory. I did not want to serve that niche, even though that's what I knew. Um, I knew from audit experience, I didn't want to work with manufacturing and distribution. So to some degree, degrees, more so process of elimination of the things that I knew I didn't want to do. And then that helped me um, understand, you know, looking into in particular coaches and creatives as we were going through the niching process. Um, that just kind of felt like the space I wanted to be. But I couldn't, at the time, I couldn't niche down into just coaches or just podcast hosts or just YouTube uh, creators. So um, I kept it a little bit more broad for now as uh, just digital solopreneurs.
0: Gotcha. And did you what were the conversations like that you had with those people? How did you find them? What kinds of questions did you ask to elicit what you were looking
1: for? A lot of my research actually was, um, I think at one point you recommended just getting some books, listening to podcasts. So as I was listening to, you know, coaches, listening to, you know, soloists, um, you know, I, I kind of found where where my people were through that by just kind of listening and reading and understanding their pain points, their dreams, and how that kind of fit into what I was hoping to build myself. So I felt like as I was listening in particular, I think you, su- you suggested the Business of Authority podcast with Rochelle Moulton and Jonathan Stark. When I listened to them, it was like, okay, this is, this, is the, this is my people. These are the people that I wanna work with. So I think it was just actually immersing myself in some of the materials and uh, literature the podcasts that really helped YouTube channels.
0: And did you ever feel like? Did you ever worry that you were going to pick the wrong niche?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm I'm kind of laughing just because um, I think very often during these coaching sessions it was distinguishing wh- whether it was a thought or a fact. So I was the thought was that I was worried that I was going to make the wrong decision, but it wasn't a fact. So that was just an assumption. I think you know, to some degree you don't know if you're gonna make the wrong decision as far as your niche until you actually make a decision. So taking action was huge, um, but I definitely felt that early on in terms of just not wanting to make the wrong decision.
0: Yeah, and so often the only, in air quotes, I like to stay out of right and wrong just because it sets up that sort of uh, dynamic, but of the three possible options, if you're choosing to to go left or to go right or to stay put, the decision that is most likely to prevent you from getting where you want to go is the stay put decision so the right decision the go left or go right will reveal information that you can then use to inform your next decision so where are you now with your niche in terms of you know feeling like you've kind of found your people found your right niche knowing that what you offer is a solid offering for your people how confident or how far along do you think you are on that journey and do you still feel like there's more to go
1: i feel like i'm i'm a good way through that process but i'm starting to realize as i have more conversations with people that even within you know the space of a digital solopreneur that there's even sub niches underneath that, you know, for example, like a couple of people I've talked to were digital nomads, um, and that's a very different client to serve specifically from a tax standpoint than someone who lives in the United States. So I think as, as I'm having more and more conversations, I'm starting to understand maybe, you know, within that umbrella of digital solopreneur, where does my target market fit? And I think that was super helpful for me, starting a little bit more broad and now kind of having those conversations, I can start to decide what is the best fit for me in terms of that clientele. But I'm trying to just be ultra aware of those distinctions as I go through this process.
0: I think that's a really common experience for people that when they first start to niche, it can feel really limiting and a little bit nerve wracking. And as they get into it, and like you say, have more conversations, they start to see that there are various sub niches within their niches that they can keep exploring. So what has become increasingly clear to you now that wasn't clear six or 12 months ago?
1: I think the, the people that I wanna serve really kind of the end in mind reverse engineering that early in the process was super helpful you know in terms of just picking out a revenue target and then kind of backing into how many clients you're going to serve from that i think it was super helpful to think about it that way because it's very it would have been very easy for me to just accumulate clients over time without really thinking about that end in mind that i'm looking for so i think just refining how many people you're going to serve, what your revenue target is, it really kind of helps you back into how many clients you, you actually need and also see the progress that you're making towards that goal. It's a little bit easier to break it down that way, which was super helpful.
0: How long did it take for you to feel like your niche was getting traction?
1: I think, you know, for January, I, kind of, so I, I started growing my audience on Twitter, and that's where I've sourced most of my leads. I think for January, as I was doing it, I started to feel, I guess, like I was doing the wrong thing, like that my strategy wasn't working. Because I think with any strategy, it takes time for that to evolve in consistency. So I had just been working through kind of finding my voice, testing out uh, my voice on social media and started to create connections over time. Um, I think by February, I started to get more connections with, with different people on Twitter. And then that network effects just started to happen more so in in March, um, where I started to see some real traction with clients. So I think early on, I felt like I was making a mistake by starting on Twitter. But then I think over time, it's it's started to pick up a little bit more steam where maybe I don't feel as... Uh, for lack of a better word, stupid, is maybe I did early on picking that strategy.
0: Gotcha. So that sounds like two to three months kind of thing before you felt like you were getting traction. And the time period that you had to sit there and wait and be like, uh, is this actually going to work? Is this plane going to take off before I run out of runway Is was like a two-month experience. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Yeah. And that sounds pretty normal, right? That's well within the normal range for that experience of like niches don't sprout overnight. They're a little bit like seeds in the ground. You got to put them in there and trust that you bought the right seeds and that they're going to germinate and sprout. Do you worry about getting bored in your niche?
1: That was a thought I had back when we started in Q4, for sure. Just that I, yeah, that I would get bored. Now I I don't because I feel like there's just so many different ways to serve my target market. So I don't, at least right now, I can't see myself getting bored. Maybe maybe in a year or two I will. Uh, who knows? But right now, definitely not.
0: Um, and if you do get bored, there's always more problems to solve. 100%. <laughs> okay. Um, is there anything that you don't like about being niched?
1: No. <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of a simplistic answer, but no, I, I think maybe I would have... And in hindsight, I definitely thought I would. That there would be things I didn't, I wouldn't like about being niched. But I, I think when you find your people, you don't necessarily feel that.
0: Do you ever think about popping it into reverse and backing up and going nicheless?
1: No, absolutely not.
0: Because this is a challenging journey for so many people, myself included. I was there. I've been through it. I've taken myself through it. I continue to take myself through it. What would you say to listeners who are on the fence about niching or want to niche but are just a little too nervous about going in the water?
1: Yeah, I think everybody who has a has a niche went through that process of, you know, hesitance in term, hes, hesitating in terms of picking that niche. If I were to rewind, I think I would just tell myself that you can always pivot. If you don't like your niche, there's nothing preventing you from changing it. But I think you get an immense amount of clarity when you do pick your niche in terms of the problems you're trying to solve, which makes you more valuable for your client.
0: So let's talk a little bit about pricing. What was your experience like of thinking about your prices and where to place them?
1: I felt like I was just kind of blindly throwing a dart at a dartboard at first, other than maybe figuring out my cost and my time that I would put Put into a relationship, which I didn't have a clear picture of because I was just starting out on my own. Um, I didn't really have a sense of how I was going to navigate pricing.
0: So what did you find when you started to navigate pricing?
1: I think in part, you don't really know what the right price is until you start to put it into play and you start to have conversations with people that you don't need to necessarily fix your price. You can always change it. So in hindsight i wouldn't want to get too caught up in trying to perfect the price because you don't really know until you have the conversations with people so i think just picking a price and starting to have conversations you quickly figure out where where you fit and also the value you provide Um, i think also just again going back to that intentionality in terms of the end in mind for the clients and the revenue target that you have, that helps you kind of figure out where your pricing needs to be. And then you can kind of fit your services around that price as well, Um, figure out the value you need to provide for that, that price.
0: Have you had any conversations with prospects where they have said the price is too high?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've had a few people comment that prices are too high. I ultimately know that my service isn't going to fit everybody's needs. I think that's what I'm understanding. But also just knowing why I'm doing it has been super helpful as an anchoring point. Like I'm not trying to create a massive business, quantity business. I'm trying to have a small uh, quality set of clients that I'm providing value for and I'm fairly compensated for. I mean even the no's don't bother me so much it's just information to help me understand maybe if I'm looking to serve that target demographic where the price is too high it's helping me have conversations to learn on how I could maybe create an offering for that for that different demographic but I also know that I just have so many spots available for my one-to-one and that's what that's what I'm kind of sticking with right now in terms of just holding true to what I set out initially now if I don't end up getting to my goal over time, then I can always lower prices if I choose. But right now, making progress, the progress that I wanna make so far, and I'm not trying to sprint towards the finish line.
0: I wanna pivot to your website and your email list and your subscriber list. You put a fair amount of effort into nailing copy, website copy for your site. Did you ever feel like that was a waste of time? Was it worth the
1: struggle? It was It was a bit of a struggle, I think, just going through a number of revisions, but I, I wanted to get it to a point where when someone landed on that site, they knew who I was and who I was trying to serve, and I could speak to that audience clearly. I definitely didn't do that with the first version of the site. I think it took a number of versions to get to where I want to be. So I definitely don't regret the time that I spent there. That was something where you helped me with a lot to get to uh, communicate the pain points, the dreams that someone in my niche would experience so that I could communicate towards my audience instead of just telling them what I do.
0: And now that it's solid and set, how has it helped you? Or how has it benefited you?
1: I think people know what to expect when they land on my site now. It's been a good filtering tool, I think, in terms of attracting the right people. There's very few prospect calls that I've had where it's not my target demographic or where it's not people that are interested in my services and have an understanding of the price. So I feel like it's just been a great filtering tool to get my target demographic and also have my prices available so that it helps filter that way as well.
0: So shortly after you got your website where you wanted it to be, you established a an e-newsletter. What made you want to have an e-newsletter and a subscriber list?
1: I knew early on that I didn't just want to have a one-to-one service model. I also want to have time and space to create a one-to-many offering. Starting the email list, I didn't have any subscribers. I started from scratch, I didn't have an audience. Early on, it was really just to get in the habit of writing. Uh, necessary, it didn't necessarily make sense to allocate time there early on, on the outside looking in, but it, it helped me get clearer on my voice and my message. Um, and then I think it also just helps, helps provide some level of credibility when someone goes onto my site and can see that I've published some work that it helps to kind of build that expertise that, that I'm the niche I'm trying to serve. It helps kind of establish some level of credibility that maybe someone coming in cold wouldn't, wouldn't be able to find, um, without it. So those are the, that's the reason why I started it.
0: And how, what was it like writing to an audience of zero?
1: (laughs) Very sad. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it, I think early on, I'm like, why am I even doing this? Um, And the topics were just not even on point with my audience, but I, I just wanted to produce something just to, just again, to get in the habit. So, you know, I'm sure as with anybody who creates content, you're earliest stuff is probably not your best, but I think it's important to just get it out of the way. So to some degree, it was almost beneficial that I got all my crappy newsletters out of the way. And now like hopefully they're less crappy and I can kind of continue to evolve from there.
0: One thing about subscriber lists is that almost all of us start with a subscriber list of zero, right? Just like everybody walks into a building on the ground floor. That's how you walk into a building unless you arrive via helicopter, but that's not most of us. And mentally writing to a list of zero is, you know, for obvious reasons, enormously challenging. But the only way to go from a list of zero to a list of one is to start writing. How long did it take to get beyond a list of you and your mom and me? Like, how, did, how long did it take to get to like 10?
1: My mom's still not on it. I, I <laughs> feel very disappointed about that.
0: She's missing out.
1: It took about a month and a half, I think, to get to 10. More recently, that started to accelerate. So now I'm at about 60 on my, my list. Um, but it just it just took time. It took me showing up daily on social media and also presenting a call to action to people. I'm still figuring out how to do that. And um, it's just something I think that takes time and consistency to start to see that pay off down the line. So I'm still still have a long ways to go.
0: So you show up daily on social media. Are you posting daily or close to it?
1: Yeah, posting daily. And
0: how long has it been since you've been posting daily?
1: Ever since January 1st. So every day since January 1st, I've posted and engaged with people
0: so 90 days more or less and then tell listeners what happened this weekend
1: i was scheduling content this last week and i don't know a tweet that i didn't even think much about just ended up gaining some traction so it had i think about a hundred thousand views and that ended up generating about 40 email subscribers and new followers and then probably three to four prospect calls so very unexpected, but I think just when you have enough quantity, it's almost bound to happen over time, unless you're not improving your, your writing or your messaging for your audience at all. Um, but if you're making genuine connections, it almost seems like there is going to be a time where unexpectedly you do gain a lot of traction. And I think it's one of those things that almost like investing, it just compounds over time in terms of building an audience.
0: And you don't know which of the posts or which of your investments is going to be the one that's going to take off. But if you do it consistently, if you post consistently, at some point you're going to hit something. At some point you're going to hit something that strikes a chord or strikes a nerve that will get widely shared. Can you ever imagine a time where you might stop writing to your list or stop posting regularly?
1: Yeah, if I'm not enjoying it anymore, I would stop. I can't picture it right now, but as with anything, never say never.
0: Okay, last couple questions here. You mentioned potentially at some point in the future having a one-to-many product instead of serving only in a one-on-one capacity. Where, What kind of thoughts do you have around that? Do you have a sort of rough draft vision in your head around what that might look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, I th- I've thought about a course. I, I know others who have done that well like the name that comes to mind is brandon hall he's created a couple different courses for i think short-term rentals long-term rentals bookkeeping i think somewhere you know that bookkeeping seems like a course that could be created that seems to be where i'm getting inbound questions i think right now i'm at the point where i'm trying to listen to what my audience actually needs so Um, That's why I'm hopping on a lot of calls with people, even if it's unpaid is just to help understand what their needs are. And bookkeeping has been one that consistently comes up. Tax planning is another one that comes up. So those are the couple of couple of paths, potentially, at least early on, but that's still evolving.
0: And what would be the appeal of having something that's one to many?
1: For me it's the ability to create another income stream that's maybe a little bit more passive. I think also there's a number of people that I just can't serve on a one-to-one basis that maybe wants to that maybe want to work with me in some capacity. So I think having another offering helps you meet more of your target demographic and also you know as they grow their revenue potentially they'd also become a client as well. So Just for for me, I want to be able to, I I don't like the fact that I can only serve a certain revenue range for clients. I'd also like to appeal to individuals that are earlier on their solopreneur venture. So that's like the natural path for me to explore.
0: So one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on is because what we focus on is knowing who you serve, knowing what they want to buy, and knowing how to sell it to them. And making that really simple and clear instead of making that nebulous, because when it's nebulous, then you run around trying to serve everybody and your prices are suppressed and so on. And even though you were in a place where you were starting out or even pre-starting out, we were still able to help you determine who you wanted to serve, what they needed to buy and set you up with starting to sell it. What advice would you give to somebody who's maybe W-2 still and contemplating or seriously considering going out on their own?
1: I'd start the process now in terms of exploring the people that you want to serve. It's something that is relatively manageable while you're W-2 to start to try to find your people. And maybe you even have an idea just from who you're working with now, the things you like, the things you don't like, the clients you wanna work with. So that'd be, that was super helpful for me to be able to identify that early on, establishing the targets that you wanna hit in terms of how many clients you wanna serve, what's your revenue target. That's another thing you could activate on sooner so that you kind of know what you're aiming for. I think in hindsight, I probably would have started uh, marketing a little bit sooner as well. So if I could have maybe in Q4 also been marketing a little bit more before I fully transitioned, if there was an ability to do that while you're W2, that's super helpful. Or just starting to create that, that network um, so that when you start, you've got some 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 clients to work off of.
0: So good. Matt, this has been really great. Where can people go to find out more about you and maybe even sign up for your list?
1: Sure. Yeah, if you want to check me out, Matt Chia, C-H-I-A dot CPA is my website. And then also I'm on Twitter at Matt Chia CPA. This has
0: been super helpful. Matt, thanks so much for coming on the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Geraldine.
0: Hi again.